You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Spoken Edition of Wired. Palo Alto Networks has the broadest, most comprehensive cybersecurity for private cloud, public cloud, and SaaS environments because secure clouds are happy clouds. Protect yours today at go.paloaltonetworks.com slash secure clouds. You think you know grades? Here's how they really work by Retta Lane. As a physics faculty, I have two jobs. The first is coach. I help students wrestle with concepts and ideas. And that makes me something like Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs, but with more equations. But I'm also an evaluator. I determine how well students understand the material I've taught them. And yes, I find it odd that I do both of these things. It's like having Popovich coach the team and referee the game. But that's how it is in education. Usually, I use this space to talk about my helping students understand physics, or I ponder important questions like whether Spider-Man can jump onto a ferry or Han Solo can survive light speed. But today, I want to talk a little about evaluation, or what you might call grading. If you think about it, there are three methods you can use. Which method you use depends upon how you view the concept of grades and what you think about student populations. First is traditional grading. I'm not sure this is truly traditional, but I imagine this is the default method and the one you know best. It works like this. A student takes a test. The instructor grades it and uses the numerical score, say 78 out of 100, to determine a percentage and assign a letter grade. Typically, an A represents a score of 90 to 100%, a B represents a score of 80 to 89, and so on, with anything less than 60% being an F. Top-notch schools that take things seriously might ramp that up a bit, so an A is 93 to 100%, a B is 85 to 92%, and so forth. That would show you mean business. Stricter scales seem especially popular among high schools, although I'm not sure why. But traditional grades assume that the instrument used to evaluate students, usually a test, is accurate. If every student scores well, they all earn an A. If everyone bombs the test, then everyone fails. This means the class average could be any value, not just a C. Such a test is like a ruler. It measures the students without regard for any other factor. Ah, but what if the test isn't accurate? What if you've made it just a bit too hard or too easy? 
Well, that takes us to the second method, where you might curve the grades. This method, grading on a curve, assumes the student population is a normal or at least stable distribution. Given a normal, statistically and behaviorally, class of students, you would expect only a few to earn an A and only a few to fail. The class average should be a C. With this method, you administer the test and grade it. After determining the raw scores, you adjust individual results, so the results follow a normal distribution, with a few students getting A's and a few getting F's. In other words, you create a bell curve, following whatever calculation needed to use the raw score to produce the reported grade. In other words, the highest grade might be a 93, so you may, might make a score of 83 to 93 represent an A. Grading on a curve is less like a ruler than a race. Since it assumes the distribution includes just a few A grades, each student must race to the top. Continuing that metaphor, it doesn't matter what your race time is, only that you finish first or maybe second. I'm not suggesting that this method is wrong, only that it carries consequences. My students often ask, are you going to grade on a curve? I suspect they're really asking, will you add points to everyone's grade? Grading on the curve doesn't mean adding points. It means adjusting the grades, so the overall results follow a normal distribution. Although I don't grade on a curve, I've always thought it would be fun to do so with a simple test. I think students will freak out if they scored 91 out of 100 and still earned a C. Well, actually, on second thought, maybe that isn't a good idea. Now, the third method, called standards-based grading, looks a bit like traditional grading, but doesn't assume the testing method is reliable. Instead, it assumes there are accepted standards of learning. For my introductory physics course, those standards might include one, that students can perform basic vector operations, add, subtract, find the magnitude. Two, that students can use the momentum principle to solve an interesting problem. Three, that students can work the work energy principle to solve an interesting problem, and so on. Standards-based grading is not about scores, but skills. Some teachers prefer detailed standards, but I tend to like more general benchmarks. In either case, standards define a skill or proficiency that you expect students to possess. Completing a test might represent just one estimate of a student's level of understanding. Perhaps you have them come back to the concept later in the semester with another way of showing they truly understand it. And I do this in my courses. I typically start each semester with a set of standards I share with my students, and during the semester, I periodically quiz them. Students who don't perform well on the quiz can create a brief video in which they solve a problem to demonstrate their understanding. I encourage everyone to continue creating problem-solving videos throughout the semester to improve their standard score. This approach works well in my experience. It places the emphasis on what students understand, not how they perform on a test. And I find it surprising how quickly the videos reveal what a student understands and where they might need help. You don't have to use videos, of course. There are a lot of other ways to implement standards-based grading. Sean Cornelly, Frank Noches, and Andy Runquist are three people with great ideas. If you're looking for some help, I suggest you start with these three. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. 
You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.